Tonight's reading is from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 to 25, and can be found on page 731 in the Church Bible. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down righteousness. Let the cloud shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness grow with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled the starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a a price or a reward, says the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord says. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and those tall Sabians, they will come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in chains. They will bow down before you and plead with you, saying, Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Truly you are a God who hides himself. O God and Saviour of Israel, all the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgraced. They will go off in disgrace together. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgrace to ages everlasting. For this is what the Lord says, He who has created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods who cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. 
By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that would not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord all descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult. Now, I wonder how you are when it comes to trusting others. Uh, What about when someone else is driving? Are you the type of passenger who can relax and fall asleep in the passenger seat? Or are you the backseat driver who's uh, nudging the driver to avoid all the potential hazards? I can see a few people nudging uh, their their neighbors uh, in the congregation. Or, Or take, for example, a social event. Are you the sort of person who thinks, well, we'll see what happens and I can trust it to others? Or um, are you planning, uh, uh, you know, there's a few weddings being planned at the moment. Are you the type that's sort of planning uh, to every single detail, checking that the venue's been booked, uh, checking that the buffet has been purchased uh, and that sort of thing? How are you uh, when it comes to trusting others? See, trust isn't straightforward, is it? Um, I know there are a couple of trivial examples, but but trust is hard uh, because trust involves surrender of my personal control to someone else. And I wonder how your trust is when it comes to God himself. How easy do we find it to trust God uh, perhaps uh, with his word? How easy do we find it to trust his word when his word says one thing and we're tempted to do another or tempted to believe another thing, how easy do we find it to trust him? Or perhaps with his provision. Uh, We know that he will provide our daily bread, but how easy do we find that to trust when actually he doesn't seem to be delivering what we would like? Or what about his goodness? How easy do we find it to trust his goodness when he doesn't seem to take our lives in the direction we would like. See, how easy is it to trust God? And perhaps that's a question for us, even if we're not here this evening calling ourselves uh, a Christian, because uh, even for us, there may be that stage where we're thinking, actually, I I might believe all this, but actually there's that question, isn't there? Will I trust God with my life, with my plans, with everything I desire? How are we with trust? Well, that's the question that we are looking at in this passage this evening. Um, To help us see why trust is at the heart of this, we need to do a bit of a history. You know, in those adverts, they say, here's the science bit. Well, here's the history bit. Uh, Because um, we're going to see that actually uh, things have moved on a little bit from previous weeks. Um, You may remember over previous weeks, we've seen that the big threat is Babylon. Uh, Israel, this small people, Uh, who are called uh, a a tree stump by Isaiah, Uh, they're like a kind of Taiwan uh, with a huge rising superpower uh, just only a few uh, miles away. And um, God has said that that empire will come and destroy the people. There will be nothing left. But we've also seen over previous weeks that God has promised to rescue them, that there will be a a judgment of fire, but God has promised to bring them through it. 
But in today's passage, there's a huge shock in how God will get them through it. So we see on the diagram, um, there's a copy of the diagram behind me or on your sheets, that here's where we find ourselves. Um, On the left is uh, the last king of Babylon. This is Belshazzar. uh, And uh, he was the writing on the wall guy. There's a picture of uh, the event, uh, of the writing appearing on the wall. He was the last king of Babylon. And then now there's a new kid on the block, uh, a guy called Cyrus. And he's the king of Persia. And look at what God says he's going to do with Cyrus. Turn back over the page to 44 verse 28. He says this, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, Let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, Let its foundations be laid. See, hear what God's saying here. I will rescue you. I will bring you back to the land. But how's it going to happen? Well, it's through this Persian king, Cyrus. Now, that may not seem a shock, but he is as far away from God's people as you can imagine. Um, I'm trying to give an example for this. Um, And I guess it would be like God choosing someone like Idi Amin or um, Vladimir Putin to build his church. It is unthinkable. Here is a pagan uh, emperor of a foreign nation, and yet look at what God calls him. He calls him his shepherd. He will build Jerusalem. Or look at what he says in 45 verse 1. It is his anointed one. And so you can understand why God's people are thinking to themselves, what is God doing Yes, we like the rescue. Yes, we want God to save us. But surely this way? Through Cyrus? And so the answer, uh, the question that's being answered in chapter 44, 45, is why God can be trusted, even when it doesn't make sense. And I hope that as we look at this this evening, we will find there are reasons to trust God ourselves, even when we find it doesn't make sense. We're going to see two things. First of all, that we're to trust God because his wisdom is far beyond our wisdom. And secondly, we're to trust God because his ways are far beyond our ways. See, first of all, we're to trust God because his wisdom is far beyond our wisdom. I don't know if this is just me, but have you had that moment where you get on a plane and you look to the front, to the person coming in the cockpit, and you think to yourselves, they look the part. They're wearing the shirt, they've even got the hat. They look like they know what they're doing. We're in safe hands here. Is that just me? Or anyone else? No, it's just me. Uh, but uh, we trust people, don't we, if we know they've got the expertise. If we're confident in the pilot, we can sit back in the cabin uh, and relax. And it's like here that God's people have just forgot who is piloting the plane. See, God reminds them of who he is. Have a look at verse 9, what he says. Uh, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who has bought a potsherd among the potsherds in the ground. Does a clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, he has no hands? 
Woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? Now, I had to look this up. A pot sherd, um, I'm a bit slow on this, is one of these things. There's a bit of pottery in the ground, the sort of thing that gets uh, the pace rolls, uh, the, the, the pulse racing for archaeologists amongst us. And um, God says that the question of his methods makes as much sense as one of these pieces of clay having a conversation with the person who made the pot. Now, I can't really understand this. I've never really made pots, but I guess I I have made things of wood. I've done a bit of woodwork, not very impressive. But I've got to say, hand on heart, I've never had one of those pieces of wood I've made uh, tell me where I could have done better. I mean, maybe you have, but I haven't. Or take the second example where God says your questioning is like a newborn arguing with their mother or father about the person, uh, about their birth. Now, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to check with the midwives this evening, but I'm pretty sure that there's never been an incident where a baby's emerged from, yes, um, <laughs> emerged, and the baby, uh, I try not to look at Sarah, our midwife here, uh, but, uh, uh, but a baby's emerged and then had a conversation with their mother about how they could have done better. I mean, that's unthinkable, isn't it? And yet, I know they're comical images, But actually, God uses those comical images to say that our question of him is like those situations. Now, this is not God saying that he's beyond questioning. God is patient with his people. He gives us many reasons to trust him. And it's not saying that this is all God says. He has given us the whole Bible to persuade us that he is trustworthy. But he is speaking to a people who have that persistent attitude that says, I know best. Actually, unless I can understand everything God's doing, I'm not going to trust him. And to that person, God says, do you know who you are? You are the pieces of pottery in the ground. You are the child. I'm God. And we see how crazy it is. Uh, Look at verse 12 where God says, it is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. Now, I was looking this up. It's estimated we have 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Come and argue with me if you think it's one or two more afterwards. Uh, And then we have apparently 100 to 200, I mean, basically no one knows, galaxies uh, in the known universe. So pretty, pretty impressive. And um, to put it in another way, uh, people often say that there are as many stars in the universe as there are grains of sand on the earth. But actually, that is a gross underestimate. Um, it's estimated now that uh, there are 10,000 stars for every grain of sand in the world. So imagine you went down to, I don't know, Portsmouth, picked up a grain of sand. There'd be 10,000 stars for that grain of sand. Or imagine you flew across the world to Byron Bay or something, and you went there and you picked up a grain of sand. Will there be another 10,000 for that? And it's unthinkable, isn't it, that the God who marshaled every single one of those millions upon billions upon billions of stars is not able to put together a plan to rescue his people. 
See, God's wisdom is not just a little bit bigger than yours. He's not just like that really bright kid you knew at school, plus some. His wisdom is incomprehensible. It is in a completely different league. And it makes as much sense for me to lecture God on how he should do things as for the pot to lecture the potter. Now, coming to us, I don't think this is here primarily to kind of beat us over the head. It's, it's not here either to, you know, it's not the first thing we say to people. Who are you to question God? Do you not know you're a, you're a piece of pottery? I mean, you know, there's probably other ways we want to talk to people first. But actually, there is a lesson here for those of us who perhaps are persistently proud. Actually, God asks us, who do we think we are? Yes, we can achieve incredible feats. We can split the atom. We can uh, land a probe on an asteroid. We can build marvels like Festival Place Shopping Center. But, but actually, compared to God, they barely register. And it helps us, doesn't it, those times where we find it difficult to trust God, when we can't see the way through. Not something to beat us over the head with, but something to encourage us to think, actually, the one who marshaled every star in the sky above me will know how to get me through. Perhaps next time we're struggling to trust, which is pretty much most days, I find, it'd be good to look over verse 12 and think who it is who is with us. But there's a second reason uh, God's people should trust him, and that's uh, what we see secondly here, because his ways are far beyond our ways. See, it's not just the wisdom of God that people are underestimating, but it's the plans of God people are underestimating. See, they look at this method of choosing Cyrus to rescue them, and they think to themselves, well, do you know what? We could do better. But God shows that actually he's got much bigger plans and purposes than they can imagine. If you're writing notes, the passage, it kind of um, cuts in half around verse 14. Uh, we've looked up to verse 14. Uh, here's 14 to 25. And here we see in verse 14 to 25, um, this huge plan God has got, uh, not just for his people, but for the world. Uh, look at what he says in verse 14. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and those tall Sabanians, they will come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in chains. They will bow down before you and plead with you, saying, Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Cush and the Sabanians, they were the extreme south of the known world at that time. It's like saying these people are going to come from Timbuktu to you. And notice what it is they're saying. They're coming, they're pleading their allegiance. Notice this, what they're saying. They're saying, surely God is with you. And there is no other God. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll notice that is a phrase God has repeated time and time again. It's a, it's a phrase that he has wanted to get into his people's hearts. But notice now, it's not his people saying it, is it? It's people from the edge of the earth coming to his people saying, Surely there is no other God. Or look at what he says in verse 23. 
By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear, they will say of me, in the Lord alone a righteousness and strength. Not just Israel, but everyone. Every single knee will go to 90 degrees. And people will recognize the Lord for who he is. See, here's the thing. God's plans are far bigger than just popping this group of people back uh, to a small piece of land by the Mediterranean. See, God's plans are to take his name and fame out to the ends of the earth. So that not just this people Israel know of him, but people in all nations, every tribe, every tongue will declare his name. It's not that God rejects his people. He says in verse 17, they will find an everlasting salvation. But he does choose Cyrus because his plans and purposes are far bigger than just rescuing one group or one people. See, here's the thing, that the people of Isaiah's day, they, they just can't see this. They, they've got the blinkers on. They're two-dimensional. They think to themselves, well, if God's using Cyrus, well, that's bad news for us. But actually, says, God says, this is good news for you and good news for all people everywhere. See, his people, they're like the child who um, gets told by their parent, um, you really should go to bed early tonight because we've got a really long drive tomorrow. And the child kicks off. They say, I don't want to go to bed early. I'm not going to bed. And they refuse and they kick up a huge tantrum. And they say, look, look, I don't want to spend tomorrow driving. I, I hate driving. It's rubbish. I don't want to drive. And they get up in the morning, bleary-eyed. They go out to the car and they look over their parents' shoulder as they're typing the destination into the sat-nav. Disneyland, Paris. See, for all they can see it's just their parents withholding things, uh, executing a plan that just seems restrictive. But actually God shows that there is far more in store. His plan, his ways are far beyond ours. And we see that most clearly in the greater rescue that this points to 700 years later. Because this rescue in Jesus uh, wasn't a rescue that kind of happened on our terms. God, again, met his people as they were oppressed, as they were under the fist of the Roman Empire. But like Cyrus, the rescuer who came looked very different to how people expected Jesus wasn't born in a royal household. He was born into a barn of a peasant family. Jesus wasn't brought up in royal courts. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was rejected from his hometown. And he didn't defeat his enemies with all his might and the edge of a sword. Instead, he laid down his life willingly for his enemies. And the enemies he defeated were not just the big problems we think we've got, but the deeper problems of sin and of death. And it'd be very easy to look at the cross and think, so foolish, just looks like defeat, just looks like 
a, a way that's gone wrong. But actually, through the eyes of Scripture, we see that that is the moment of triumph. As God brought out his plan to make himself known to the ends of the earth. And since the cross, God has worked that way time and time again. How was it that the early church spread? Well, you remember Acts 8, it was through persecution. People were scattered, people spoke, and people heard the good news of Jesus. Or how was it that the the gospel caught to the center of power of the day, the Roman Empire? Well, God chose its biggest persecutor in Paul, changed him so that he took the gospel out to the center of the empire. And ever since then, uh, it's been the same time and time again. Uh, Augustine, uh, one of the greatest minds of the church, well, he was a promiscuous philosopher, converted, and yet used by God to defend the gospel. Or Martin Luther, the German, uh, with a tender conscience, discovered again uh, what it meant for God to show grace freely. Or take, for example, the imperialistic colonialism of previous centuries. Actually, God using even those evil desires to make his name known so that the continent those things came from is far behind other places in terms of embracing the gospel. And even today, God's ways are not our ways. Very easy to look at things and think, God can't possibly know what he's doing. Why has he done this? But actually, it may just be that God is using these things to make his name known. Why trust God? Well, because his wisdom is far above our wisdom. It's like the pot, pottery pieces speaking to the potter. And his ways... His grace extends far beyond what you and me can imagine. And so what do we do with those two things? How is it we respond? Well, it's this one word, trust. See, trust isn't um, like the backseat driver that um, is happy to delegate as long as they do exactly as they're told. That's not trust. Uh, That may look like trust, but it really isn't. I've been on the receiving end, and I've done it. Uh, Trust is something... Uh, is given my self-control over when I don't necessarily know the outcome. And the question I've had for myself off the back of this is, am I willing to do that when it comes to God? It's very easy to trust God when life's going swimmingly, when I think I know, oh, yeah, I can see God's doing X, Y, and Z. It's a different thing to trust God when I don't know there's going to be the outcome I desire. Perhaps it is in an area of obedience. We're trying to live in accordance with God's word, but we think to ourselves, well, why do it? Or the world around me is telling me something different. But here's a reminder that his wisdom is above ours. His ways are better than we can imagine. And so we're to trust him at his word. Maybe our circumstances are challenging. Perhaps he's taken us into a place we don't want or expect. But actually, to trust God is to say, he's good, he's got me, even if I can't see the way through. Or maybe it's here, we're here this evening, perhaps we we know the Christian faith, perhaps we've 
we've, we were even convinced in our heads these things are true, but we've not made that step of trust in him with our plans and lives and desires. Well, here is a call to do that. It is foolish to think we can give lessons to God, and it is to miss out hugely, that is an understatement, to think that our ways are better than his. Will you trust him? Or we as a church, will we trust him? Uh, Yesterday, the PCC had an away day, uh, all the way um, over in the old church. Uh, It was fantastic. And um, we, on this away day, we were thinking through where do we want to, under God, be in the next five years? And I must admit, as we were listening to all the challenges that are out there in the world, in our town, uh, in the denomination, the, my first response was to be overwhelmed. But will we trust him? Will we do what he's told us to do? Will we keep on doing that as a church, even when we don't necessarily know what he's going to do with it. See, how are we with trust? Well, here are two reasons to trust God. First of all, his wisdom is beyond our wisdom. And secondly, his ways are beyond our ways. Let's pray. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone, a righteousness and strength. And so we pray, our Father, whatever we face this evening, however we approach this passage, that we will be those who recognize you for who you are and bend our knee in willing obedience with delight knowing that your wisdom is above ours and your ways are beyond our ways. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.